Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Father, we come before you this morning singing praise to you, giving you glory and honor. Lord, and if we have been blessed to come to you, Lord, through the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we celebrated today in communion, Lord, that Jesus came that we might restore the relationship with you that was broken. And if we have had that relationship restored by coming to you, by repenting of our sins and accepting you as our Lord and Savior and following you, Lord, as you have called us to, then it can be well with our soul. It's the only way that it can be well with our soul. Lord, and and once that has been done, Lord, we can have peace. We can have comfort. We can have your grace and mercy in the middle of any circumstance, in the middle of any trial, in the middle of any storm. It can be well with our soul because of you. Lord, you've promised that when we receive you, Lord, that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will never abandon us, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your peace and your comfort. Lord, in all glory and all honor and power and praise is to you and you alone. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. We are so glad that you are with us this morning for worship. If you are a guest, welcome. I hope you felt welcome when you came in. And if you didn't receive one uh, on the way in, please get one of the gift uh, sacks on your way out. It just has some more information about New Covenant and uh, a small gift from us to you. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. We're so thankful that you're with us. Uh, well, as uh, Mike mentioned earlier, we just completed our 21-day fast, and I know some of you may be more excited than others, depending on what you what you gave up. Uh, and I know for many of you, this was a new experience. Uh, if you missed the message on prayer and fasting and aren't sure what I'm referring to right now, uh, I encourage you to listen to the message that was shared on February 20th. Uh, it can be found on our website or uh, on our Facebook page, and I go into a lot of detail in that of, about what we were doing in this time. In that, though, we did discuss that often God can be doing a work while we pray and fast, uh, but we may not see the immediate results Uh, And I want to encourage you to continue praying for the areas that God has laid on your heart, even if you haven't received an answer yet. I've heard multiple testimonies already as we've walked together in this time of prayer and fasting, and I look forward to hearing more. And I've been so blessed to hear uh, that even some of our youth and even some of our elementary age kids uh, participated in this process as uh, they were listening to the message when uh, when I shared that. And their, uh, as their parents were, were praying about what to fast, the kids wanted to join them. And, and so some uh, even some of our elementary kids participated and, and the parents shared it wasn't easy. You know, uh, they they prayed as well and asked God what they were to give up. And several of them came up with some pretty uh difficult things for them. Uh, and it was just so exciting to see that. Uh, I think we often overlook how uh, much our example uh, is to them and, and that they are watching uh, and learning from what we do. I know that God's already moved miraculously in areas, and I'm believing that he's going to continue to move in many more. Uh, and we will continue to humbly seek him uh, to work in our families, in our community, and, and in our entire world as we continue uh, to seek him in prayer. 
I just want to thank each of you that joined us and participated with us in that process, whether it's something you've done before or whether it was something that you were trying uh, and being obedient in for the first time. Well, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1, and we're going to get there in just a moment. Uh, this morning, we're finishing up this series that we've been in. This will, I think this marks the sixth week uh, and the final message in this Faith Works series. And my hope and prayer is that this series has given us all uh, some fresh insight to our faith. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned at the very beginning of the series and a few times throughout it and wanted to touch on one more time this morning uh, is on the difference between uh, justifying faith and sanctifying faith. And that word uh, justifying or justified, uh, it really means to be made right. Uh, and, and again, back to the communion that we took this morning, the only way that we can be made right before God uh, is to come to him, to repent of our sins, to accept the sacrifice that he made for our life. And then we can be justified. We can be made right. Uh, the word tells us that there is no other way where uh, since Adam and Eve sinned, every human being since then has been born into sin, has been born unrighteous. Uh, any parent knows that from from a baby on, you don't have to teach your child to do wrong. Uh, it's inherent. You know, who taught your child to be selfish? You know, they, they see something they want and they take it. It's a natural instinct uh, because from that moment of the fall, that is our inherent nature. And the only way to fix that, the only way uh, to be justified is to accept uh, the sacrifice that Christ did on the cross. And we can't earn it. We can't uh, do enough good things to, to balance the scale, to, to get justified. It's by grace and mercy alone. And so when we, when we come to that realization, when we receive that, we are justified in Jesus Christ. And uh, we're told that we're literally born again. Jesus Christ told Nicodemus that he would have to be born again to come into the kingdom of heaven. And he didn't know what that meant. But what it meant was when we receive Jesus Christ, we become a new creation. We are born again in him to live a new life. But as we grow up in, in our flesh, as we go from a baby to a toddler, uh, even, you know, uh, I, I shared before how we learned how to roll over. I remember uh, with our first daughter, Abby, you know, she would lay on her stomach and we would encourage her. And she, she didn't like being on her stomach, so she would just cry and get red in the face. But we, we would encourage her, like, you know, roll over, you know, try to roll over. And and in the beginning, she couldn't. She would just get frustrated and, and try, but it was still working those muscles. And eventually we'd say, okay, that's enough. We'll roll you over. But we would do that again and again and again. And slowly her muscles got stronger. And eventually she was able to roll over. And we celebrated it like she'd scored the winning goal uh, of the football game. You know, it was, we, were, we were just so excited. Look what she did. Um, and that's the way that we start out when we become that new creation in Christ. We are a spiritual baby. And we have to start maturing spiritually the same way that we uh, do in our physical life. And that process of, of uh, is the, the theological word for that is called sanctification. That in that process, we participate with God. So back to the justifying faith. We can do nothing in that. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to make ourselves righteous. But once we are saved, once God has made us righteous, then he says, okay, participate with me. Now you are a baby in the kingdom of heaven. You are now a, an ambassador in the kingdom of heaven. And now we can work together. 
You can now hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You are now available to see the difference between the truth of the kingdom of heaven and the lies that Satan tries to convince us of. And we can mature and grow in that process. But I want you to remember that there, it's never been a battle between faith and works. It's also, uh, it's not a contradiction of terms. James and Paul, what they show uh, through their different books in the Bible is that faith and works go hand in hand. Both from the beginning of our relationship with Jesus Christ and in the spiritual maturing process, which progresses from that moment of new birth until the day that we die. In James 1.22, and we've read these passages before, but I just want to touch on them quickly again uh, because they're so key to the whole book of James. Uh, it, he wrote, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And in chapter 2, verse 18, he wrote, Someone will say that you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James makes it very clear that our following of Jesus Christ is more than just words. It's not a game that we play. We can call it discipleship. We can call it our spiritual training. We can call it an apprenticeship process. But whatever we call it, the only way that we can progress in this process is by following Jesus Christ. And James makes it clear that it takes more than words to do that. We can't follow Jesus Christ by telling other people to do what I say, not what I do. If we're following Jesus Christ, it should show up in our actual life. If we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we've accepted Him as our Lord and Savior, and if we declare declare to others that He is our Lord and Savior, then there should be an ever-increasing amount of evidence, an ever-increasing amount of good fruit, an ever-increasing amount of a transformed life that actually can be seen by others. And remember, though, that doesn't mean that it's an instantaneous process. Don't get discouraged because you're looking at yesterday and you're not completely different today. It doesn't work that way. It's a very long, very slow process that never gets finished. From the moment of our spiritual birth till our physical life is brought to an end, this process continues. Who remembers uh, being a child growing up and maybe your mother or your father would mark your growth or chart your growth on the doorframe? I remember doing that myself as a kid and, and even with our own children for many years. Who, uh, whose parents marked your growth on a daily basis? Nobody? No one? Why not? Because there would be no change. I looked it up and it says that even in, in our most, um, like the, the years that, that girls and boys grow the most and have the biggest growth spurts, in those years girls will grow about three to three and a half inches a year and boys will grow four inches a year. And that's average. I'm sure some of y'all that are six foot eight, you know, probably had some years that you grew more than that. But, but the point is, is if we try to chart or track our growth on a daily basis, we're not going to see any change. But when you look over those years, you would see different links of lines every year as you grew, as you matured. Our spiritual life is no different. So I don't want you to get discouraged when you look at yesterday and don't see a change. But what I want us all to uh, consider is to look back six months ago. 
Look back a year ago. Look back five years ago, ten years ago, however long uh, your spiritual journey has been from the moment that you know that you were born as a new creation in Christ. And then look ahead and you should see a maturing process. You should be a different person today than you were then. And if you can look back at that and, and see that process, then, then you know that you are being sanctified, that you are participating with God in that work. But if you look back at that process and there's been no change, I would have you to reconsider whether or not you actually made the choice to follow Christ. Whether you have been apprenticing with Him, with, whether you've been following Him, whether you've been seeking Him, because if you've been doing that for a long period of time, you should see results. You should see fruit. You should see transformation. And there's no better day than today if you haven't seen that process. There's no better day than today to start it. You can call out to Him, cry out to Him, and He will answer you. And He will lead you if you're willing to follow Him. And over time, you will begin to notice that you are maturing spiritually and being transformed more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I can guarantee there's no better life on this earth than the life you were created to live. And for all of us, that best life is found in following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to finish up this series by looking at how our faith works when we're tempted. We absolutely need our faith to work when we're tempted, when we find ourselves in the middle of temptation. How many of you would agree with that? I know I know, I do. We also need it when we face tests and trials and even sin. And James addresses all of these issues in James 1, verses 9 through 18. I'm going to read that together, starting in verse 9. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We're going to stop here for a second, but I want to point out again that this whole passage uh, from verse 9 to 18 is about uh, temptations and testing and trial uh, and, and even sin. In these three verses, we see that the kingdom of heaven has a way of leveling us with our brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of what we may or may not possess. When testing comes to the poor man, he can let God have his way and rejoice that while he may not have many earthly possessions... If he is following Jesus Christ, he can still possess abundant spiritual blessings and riches that will last forever. And when testing comes to the rich man, he can also let God have his way, knowing that every earthly possession that they have will pass away. Not one of them will go with him into eternity. In humility, though, he knows that his only true wealth is found in Jesus Christ. This whole passage, as I said, is about trials and tests and temptations. And what we see here is that there is a test to pass, whether we possess nothing or whether we possess many things. Either way, we are called to keep our hope and trust in God alone. In verse 12, he goes on and says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. There's a lot packed into these three verses. The first is a blessing. We will be blessed if we remain steadfast. Other words for that are if we endure, if we persevere, if we don't quit when we're found in the middle of a trial. If we remain faithful, God promises that we will receive the crown of life. One of the things that came to mind when I read this passage is, well, how long? How long do we have to endure? How long do we have to not quit? You know, I think we like quick tests, don't we? You know, it's like, ask me a question. If I say no, I pass. We want it to be very quick, but I know people who have been in tests and trials for months and for years. Some for many, many years. Maybe it's... uh a long uh, running disease that they, they fought or chronic pain may even be a temptation, a struggle, uh, a sin uh, that has entangled you and you've been struggling with it for many, many years. And maybe there's bouts that sometimes you get victory over it. Sometimes you fall back into it. The Apostle Paul had a similar issue, whether it was physical or spiritual. It says that he prayed three times to God to take it away. And God's answer was not to take it away, but to say, my grace is sufficient for you. So many times these these trials may last the duration of our life. But what God is saying is, I will be with you in it. God knows that the best thing that, that we can have in our life is Him. And any time that we find, and the Bible says over and over, and like we just read about how difficult it may be for a rich person to trust in God, it's so easy to trust in the things that we've attained. If we don't need anything, God knows that in our need we will turn to Him. So sometimes the best thing that He could do for us, the best gift that He could give us is something in our life that makes us have to be constantly dependent on Him. And we may cry out for Him to take it away because it's not fun or it's hard or we don't like it, but He knows that it's the only way that we'll stay with Him and the best possible life we can have on this earth and for all eternity is if we're in a relationship with Him. Then we see that God cannot be tempted with evil and He doesn't tempt us with evil. When we are tempted, it says it's because we allow our own fleshly lusts, our own desires to get the better of us. And we step into the enemy's trap or we bite his hook. These words that are used there, lured and enticed, are a form of deception. Sometimes we don't need the enemy to deceive us. We're pretty good at doing it ourselves, aren't we? And that's what James is pointing out here. We can convince ourselves of lies because we want to do what we want to do. We desire to have our desires fulfilled. This idea of being lured in other translations read to be drawn away. It carries the idea of a baited trap. And the word that's used here for enticed means to bait a hook. No animal is deliberately going to step into an empty trap and no fish will knowingly bite an empty hook. The animal or fish is lured or enticed. By the prospect of food, the bait keeps them from seeing the trap and seeing the consequences. And we're no different. 
We see the allure and the enticement of sin. And it clouds our thinking. And in our desire to please our flesh, we don't see the consequences of sin. Oftentimes, not until it's too late till we find ourselves caught in the trap. Our enemy is very cunning and deceptive. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says that we need to always be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And in John 10.10, Jesus warned us that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But then he encourages us that he came. Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. The enemy is a master at deception. He convinced Adam and Eve that they would be as wise as God if they would just disobey him. He can certainly tempt us with things that we know are wrong, but sometimes he can convince us to do evil because of the good that might come from it. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Have you ever been tempted that way? I would, I would think we all have at one time or another. He tells us a lie, uh, or he tells us that if we would lie, it'll produce a good result. Maybe if we just cut a few corners, it'll be okay because the end result will be good. That's a lie. It's a trap. The end will never justify the means if it means getting there through sin. Verse 15 says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. The result of sin is death. It's been the same consequence from the very beginning. God told Adam and Eve that if they disobeyed him and ate of that fruit, that they would die. And literally in the instant that they did, they died spiritually. And then later they would die physically. It was only by God's grace and mercy that we were offered redemption and salvation through Jesus Christ. Verse 16 encourages not to be deceived by the enemy. And we just read a moment ago that God doesn't lie. Anytime that the enemy is trying to convince us to do something through deception or through lying, we know that's not of God. He will never tell us it's okay to lie if the result's good. Only the enemy deceives in that manner. Says God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God isn't holding out on us. He isn't trying to keep good things from us. It's the complete opposite. Verse 18 reminds me of Jesus' words in John 16, 13. He said, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. We can trust that God is the giver of all good and perfect gifts and what he tells us through the Holy Spirit is the truth. He will never lie to us. He will never deceive us. If we put our faith and hope and trust in God, we will never be disappointed. 
When I used to teach uh, elementary kids in, in Amarillo, we volunteered there in the kids' ministry, and uh, pretty frequently I would, would try to encourage them that you know their parents didn't give them rules because they want to make them miserable. That may be the result oftentimes, but that's not our goal. And that's not God's goal. Every rule in the Bible from the Ten Commandments all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's not doing it to be a killjoy. Every pleasure that we have on this earth was created by God. But He made it to be enjoyed in a righteous way so that it wouldn't harm us. But the enemy has twisted every pleasure that God had made and turns it into something that we can do selfishly and for ourselves and in a way that harms us instead of blesses us. And God wants us to be blessed, so He put parameters around these things. And we fight against those parameters, those lies, those temptations. But every time we violate God's rules, it brings harm to us. When we make those rules and and things for our children, we do it, like I said, because we love them. God's the same way. But how many of you know that we are imperfect, imperfect parents? Candy and I only make mistakes once a day. Or every day, how about that? (laughs) It's a better way to say it. We mess up all the time. We are, are not perfect parents. We look back at so many things that we did and, and some of them we're just like, oh, if we could just take that back. How many counseling sessions will they have? <laughs> because of our parenting style. But even though we made many, many mistakes and continue and will continue, our heart was because we loved them. And we wanted what was best for them. But we have a perfect Father in God. He has never made a mistake. We just read that every good, every perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. And He doesn't make mistakes. Every rule, every parameter that He has put in place is because He loves us. He has the owner's manual for every single one of us. He knows the perfect case, the perfect situation that we need to go through to walk and follow Him correctly. And He's given us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in that process if we'll listen to Him and follow Him. But we have to choose to follow Him. We have to choose to give Him our life. And when he, we do, He will never uh, disappoint us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. When we allow Satan to deceive us and entice us to enjoy all of these things that God gave us in a way that he didn't intend, the result is consequences. And what the verse said is those consequences then go on to sin and eventually that sin, if we never stop in it, it will lead to death. But God's way is to life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it in abundance. He also said that who he sets free is free indeed. We can literally be set free of every sin, of everything that would entangle us if we'll take it to him. I want to close this morning with a a personal example of of temptation and and, uh, sin, honestly, in my life. Uh, It happened when I was 18 years old. Uh, When I was 18, uh, actually literally turned 18, uh, back then, I think now it's 21, but back then you could buy cigarettes legally when you were 18. And when I was, 
I, I, I was born in the church, right? It, like from nine months at conception, I was in the church. You know, that was my whole life. That's all I knew. Um, I got got saved and, and was following God at an early age. That didn't mean I wasn't still in that sanctification process and still made mistakes. And God still taught me many, many lessons and still does today. As, as I said, this this process never ends. So one of the things that I had drilled into me is, you know, you follow the law. Except maybe the speed limit. Um, <laughs> I did. I did then, and maybe continue sometimes to speed. Um, but other things like like not smoking. I never smoked uh, when it was illegal. But a friend and I once we were both eighteen. We thought it's legal. We can do this without breaking any laws. And so he and I went to go get some cigarettes. And we went to a park and we we smoked several. Uh, you may have seen on TV uh, or, or maybe had the experience yourself. You know, you see people and they try to take a, a drag on a cigarette and they that first time they cough or choke or have an issue with it. Not me. It was smooth. And I enjoyed it. Literally, just from that first moment, it was it was nice. And I enjoyed the feeling and I thought I was grown up and doing, you know, some some great thing. So we smoked a couple cigarettes and then we went back to my friend's house and we walked to the kitchen and his mom just instantly says, have you boys been smoking? And we did it outside. We were, you know, we thought that we're good. We don't smell like smoke. And I mean, just instant we were, you know, caught. And so, of course, we did the right thing and lied. Uh, and, and without thinking, you know, both of us and we corroborated each other. No, no, we weren't. I don't know if we gave, you know, we were around somebody else or whatever. But anyway, we lied. And she didn't push it. She, you know, we went on on our way. And so he may have kept a couple, but I know I got the majority of them. And so over that next few days, I had finished the rest of that pack. And I decided I was going to go get another pack. And so I was in my car uh, driving to a convenience store. And uh, it's one of the, at that age, one of the few clearest times I knew I was hearing God's voice. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, if you get that pack, you're going to be addicted for years and years and years. This is going to be a struggle. He didn't tell me I was going to go to hell. He didn't say I wasn't going to be his son anymore. He didn't condemn me. He was just telling me the truth. He said, I know you. Since then, I've, t- I've uh, actually just took another one in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, one of those personality tests. And one of the things with my personality is it says I have an addictive behavior. I didn't know that at 18 years old. But God did. And the Holy Spirit did. And I heard that voice and I had the choice of what to do. And in that moment, I decided, I don't want that for my life. That doesn't sound like a good thing. And I didn't buy that next pack of cigarettes. And I've never been addicted to cigarettes in my life. But that's not to say, like, put that, oh, look at Pastor Chris. He never made a mistake. He did that once and then did the right thing. Yeah, in that area. I could give other areas where I have fallen over and over and over and over again. And I repent over and over and over again. And only when I look back over years and years and years of that sanctification process can I see that God is maturing me and growing me. And some of those areas are still struggles today. But those are the areas that make me every day know that I have to fall on Jesus Christ and that if I don't hold on to Him, I will fall away. It's the same thing for all of us. But what I want to encourage you is another nugget of wisdom in James. is verse James 4, verse 7. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
God gives us the power. He gives us the authority. He gives us the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit to resist every temptation that the enemy would send. And we have the power to choose when we've come into a relationship with Him in Jesus Christ. Prior to that new birth, we are powerless against sin. But in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power and the ability to choose. And He will set you free if you fall on Him. Will you bow your head with me as we close in prayer? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Jesus Christ said that all truth will be given to you, will be spoken to you through the Holy Spirit. One of the awesome things about the Holy Spirit is He has the ability to speak a unique word to every person in this place this morning. He knows what you need to hear. He has your owner's manual. He wrote it. How is He calling you to rely on Him? How is He calling you to seek Him? If you've never given your life to Him and you're feeling your heart want to pound out of your chest and you know that He's calling you this morning, you can answer that call and choose to follow Him and become His apprentice, to become His disciple, to become a follower. And I promise you, you will be born again. And over a period of time, you will see yourself transform. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit. We thank You that You're speaking to us this morning to each of us as we need to hear, Father. And I pray that our ears would be open, our heart would be open to receive Your Word and that we would allow You to transform us and that we would walk with You in this process, that we would participate with You in this process. One of the boldest things that you can do this morning is step out and respond to God. We have a prayer team in the back of the room that would love to pray with you about anything that you uh, would like to pray or have someone agree with you in prayer. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, they would love to pray with you about that. And we have a book that we would uh, want to give you as a gift called Ten Steps Toward Christ that will walk you through that uh, discipleship process. And if you tell any of us here, we would be happy to walk with you one-on-one in that process. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and that he redeemed us and saved us and that you didn't leave us alone, but you sent us the Holy Spirit to to show us all truth. Lord, I pray that you allow us to walk in that revelation. We thank you. We give you all glory and honor and praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'd like to encourage you this morning as you continue a lifelong pursuit of letting faith work in your life, that fast growth is not strong. Slow growth is strong. If you planted a one-gallon oak tree in a one-gallon Lady Banks rose a year later with perfect conditions, the oak tree would look much the same and the Lady Banks rose would be twice as big easily as that oak tree. Thirty years later, you've got a half-grown oak tree And you have a dead Lady Banks rose because that's more than its lifespan and it needed support its entire life. It couldn't even hold up itself. It's okay if your growth is slow because it's strong. You need those deep roots that come with slow growth to hold you up and support you in times of storm and trial. 
I'm, I'm amazed at the sequoia trees in California that the fire comes by and burns up everything from underneath them. Their bark is scorched and they're still just up there praising God, waving in the wind. It's a beautiful thing. Be encouraged. If you're growing slow, you're going to be strong and you're going to work. Okay? A couple of quick announcements for you. This week is spring break. Kids, you know that. Parents, you know that. I'm telling the parents right now, there's no activities for youth and children this week. So even if your kids tell you they want to go to youth, you have to explain to them, I'm sorry, we're not having that. So no high school, junior high youth tonight, no young singles tonight, Wednesday night, NCC kids canceled. Your regular life groups will probably still be meeting. Talk to your leader, let them know that you want to go and they'll still have it for you. We have two things. We have two Skeet shoots coming up that are going to support scholarships to youth going to camp this summer. One of them is for the men. It's going to be on March 26th at 8.30 in the morning. If you bring $25, a gun, some shells, and a lawn chair, you will enjoy a morning of fellowship and skeet shooting. Breakfast will be provided. And all that money, every all the $25 uh, donations will go towards scholarships. And due to popular demand... We have a married couple skeet shoot that's going to follow in April on the 9th. That's at 1230. It's going to be a lunch. Lunch will be provided. Same amount of money. Same rules. Uh, no children, please, for obvious reasons on that. Um, I'd like to close this morning with a written prayer. I, I, I normally just pray what God tells me to, but today he told me to close with the words of Paul written in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you're by your heads with me. In close, I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. That is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all. Have a beautiful week and be blessed. Thank you for listening to this week's message.